Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushville. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for May 3, 2020. Many of you have been asking about dates for the 2020 reunion of the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Association. The dates were set for July 24 and 25, but due to the uncertainty of regulations related to the holding of group meetings during the coronavirus, the Alumni Board decided at its April 26 meeting to cancel the reunion for this year. The memorial service will be held virtually on the Zoom platform. The date and time will be announced as soon as it is available. This would have been the 75th anniversary of the alumni. We are looking forward to celebrating our 75th reunion next year in 2021. Students at the Kentucky School for the Blind have been participating in non-traditional instruction since school closed due to the coronavirus in March. The last day of NTI is Friday, May 8, and KSB will hold a virtual graduation and Founders Day ceremony that day at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Visit the Kentucky School for the Blind website at ksb.kyschools.us for details. Because of the coronavirus, the Kentucky Derby was moved from the first Saturday in May to the first Saturday in September, September 5. GLCB always has a day-long derby party on Derby Day. Making sure that the virus could not stop us from having fun, GLCB had a virtual derby party at Roundabout last Friday evening, May 1. Patty Cox shared easy recipes for preparing some of the great derby food, including barbecued meatballs, bacon-wrapped Little Smokies, pasta salad, deviled eggs, and much more. We played Adam's horse race game, Kendall Perry won the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana Hot Dog Handicap. Dave Wildy won the Savvy Know-It-All Claiming Stakes. And the winner of the Northern Kentucky Tank Handicap was Susan Card. We ended the event with some derby history and trivia. Next week's Roundabout is Bingo. For more information about Roundabout, join our email list, by emailing us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org or give us a call at 502-895-4598. Kentucky Gives Day is on Tuesday, May 12. This is a way for anybody, anywhere, to help support the Kentucky Council of the Blind and its many programs such as Sound Prints, our low vision support groups, our website, and our newsletter. Your gifts at this time are especially important because of the declining economy and the fact that usual sources of support are much smaller right now. Watch our email list and our website this week for details on how you can get involved and show your support for KCB through Kentucky Gives Day on May 12. By the way, if you're not receiving our list mail and you would like to do so, Give us a call at 502-895-4598 or drop us an email at kcb at kentucky-acb.org and we'll be glad to sign you up. 
The Kentucky Statewide Council on Vocational Rehabilitation met remotely on the Zoom platform on Monday, April 27. There was, of course, much concern about staffing, budgets, and services. Cora McNabb, Executive Director of the Kentucky Office of Vocational Rehabilitation, talks with us on page 2 on Soundprints and shares information about the agency and services available to consumers. The ACB 2020 Conference and Convention is being held on ACB Radio and on the Zoom platform from July 3 to July 10. There will be a virtual exhibit hall and state affiliates, local chapters, individuals, and businesses are invited to participate. Michael Smitherman, the ACB Exhibits Coordinator, tells us on page 3 how anyone who has products to sell or information to share can participate in this year's conference and convention. Find out how to get in contact with him on page 3. We end this week with a little fun on page 4. The Kentucky Derby isn't just a horse race. For two weeks prior to the Derby, Louisville parties hardy with over 70 events of fun. The Great Steamboat Race has been held the Wednesday before Derby since 1963. Somehow, the Belle of Louisville manages to win the race about half the time, even against much larger and more powerful boats. Enjoy a look at what goes on behind the scenes in this Derby tradition. Then learn about the Kentucky Derby Great Balloon Fest, an event that has grown from a small balloon race of just seven entries to a full four-day event enjoyed by the entire city. We hope you enjoyed this week's Sound Prints. Page two. I'm speaking with Cora McNabb, who is the Executive Director of the Kentucky Office of Vocational Rehabilitation, and we had a meeting of our Statewide Council for Vocational Rehabilitation this past Monday, and Cora gave a report, an update on the agency, and it was a quite a, an impressive report. So, Cora, welcome to Soundprints, and uh, hope you'll tell us uh, some of the good things that are happening in the agency. Well, thank you, Carla. Good morning, and uh, I appreciate having the opportunity to be able to share what's going on with the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation and Services during the pandemic and what we have done to put in place um, measures for COVID-19 to make sure that our staff and the individuals that we serve are, first of all, kept safe, uh, and yet that we're doing all that we can do to provide services um, and resources remotely to individuals. So I think we're like everybody else in the first week of March, we were at work, and everything was right in the world of folk rehab and services and in our personal lives, and we went home that weekend and came back to work on Monday morning, and we began to receive communications about COVID-19. And by the middle of that week, we um, were given a a policy and a procedure on telecommuting uh, for our employees to prepare and put in place what we needed to do to um, make sure that 
staff were safe in working during the pandemic. So it was kind of a plan that went into place um, that phased out individuals in buildings, in actual business buildings. So throughout the month, at first we um, sent home 25% of our staff to work from home. Immediately, those individuals that had work-issued laptops and a VPN to be able to work from home and access what they needed. Um, then the next week, we went down to 50% of the workforce, and then, you know, finally towards the end of the month, we um, reduced our workforce by 100% and, and sent them to work from from home, which was no easy task because not everybody had the technology that they needed. So um, we worked with the Office of Technology Services to get individuals laptops, and um, we've even furnished some staff hotspots that do not have adequate internet because we know for everybody it's been very difficult because in a lot of homes there are parents that are working, um, which puts an extra drain on whatever type of internet service that they have, and then you add to that children that are in the home that are doing their, you know, schoolwork, then you have even an additional strain. So um, we spent most of the month of March supporting staff and getting set up and helping them to adjust to, you know, a way of life that was very different. Really, we spent the month supporting staff, developing uh, policies to provide remote services. Of course, we had lots of questions about assuring that um, information was kept confidential, electronic signatures, just a lot of questions that we needed federal guidance on. and. Uh, immediately the Rehab Services Administration began to provide um, open meetings and uh, that we participated in uh, and provided us the information that we needed to have that they could um, at that point, realizing that due to the federal law, there were some things that the Rehab Services Administration could not uh, change as far as you know, time frames and requirements that are written in the federal law. So mm -hmm. we spent most of March, like I said, getting everybody home, and we're to the point now where, you know, okay, we've done done this, you're at home, um, you've adjusted to that environment, so um, let's do all that we can do to provide um, services remotely. So we are... Um, taking applications, we are determining eligibility. Um, we're using different, you know, platforms, just like you all are, to communicate with um, one another. Um, we are having regular. All of the branch managers are having regular meetings. Another thing that happened in March was that we, the uh, our cabinet, reached out to us due to the high volume of unemployment insurance claims and asked to transfer some of our staff to doing uh, unemployment claims. And the staff 
stepped up to the plate, and now we have 66 of our staff that have been transferred to processing unemployment insurance claims. Uh, we knew that there was a, a huge need uh, for that, and that many of them were glad to, to volunteer knowing that their families had been impacted by unemployment, their friends, and even individuals that we serve and they wanted to do their part to assist with those unemployment insurance claims. And they are still um, assigned to those duties at this, this time. Um, at first we thought it might be a matter of, a you know, not more than a couple of months, but we realized that this could go into a, a little bit longer time frame until um, unemployment insurance gets through processing you know, the, the claims, the backlog of claims that they have. And it was very difficult right. for them. So we have them to um, a point where um, they're working well and we're still keeping in touch with them. So at that point we had to reassign caseloads and on our website there is, um, you can go there to um, the Kentucky Career Center and you can see the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation, and on the website there's a list of the counselors and what counties. We also sent letters to all of the uh, consumers or notified them that there was a change in their counselor. So we're mm -hmm. continuing to provide as many services as we can um, and until the executive order uh, is lifted, we cannot perform uh, you know, in-person um, services, but um, we are still open and and operating, taking phone calls. We've made arrangements for mail to be picked up. We've made arrangements for um, also invoicing and, and continue to process, process authorizations and, and payment. So, you know, we're, of course, we had the one the um, legislators approved one year of the biennial budget, and we're fully funded at this point, so we're, we're grateful for that. Um, moving forward, we just have to see what will happen um, in the current economic environment, just like everybody else. Um, we, we're continuing to participate in federal calls with staff and figuring out how to deliver services remotely. We're working with all of our providers, especially those vendors that provide pre-employment transition services, um, making sure that um, individuals with disabilities are receiving what they need. We, I'm really proud of the two centers, the Perkins Center in Selma and the McDowell Center. They acted quickly to make sure that they would get students um, home where they would be in a safe environment um, because a residential environment during this pandemic is not a good setting for people to be in. And, you know, even at the McDowell Center, um, they are working on how to provide services remotely. Um, right now they're working with one individual for Braille instruction. So uh, we are continuing to to find solutions in any way that we can and be supportive of one another. Well, I'm, I'm sure that this is just, uh, even for a, a counselor who's um, doing 
in working with a person, let alone someone in the center. Uh, I, I think the, the center services from either Perkins or McDowell would be extremely challenging by, uh, by remote, by video or virtual um, teaching. Not that it can't be done. Of course it can be done. But part of the purpose of those centers is to provide uh, in-person uh, training and evaluation services and things like that that really don't lend themselves real well to virtual training. Um, but to be a counselor and to provide quite a few of the services would be difficult as well. Um, not quite so much because um, uh, the interviews can be done by phone and so on, but but it's, it's just, it is. It, I mean, it has to be a tremendous challenge. Also, um, when you have 66 people off doing another job, which of course very much needs to be done, uh, but those 66 people all have tasks that were being done within the agency. And um, so a counselor has, I know one counselor at the uh, meeting on Monday said, well, she had one case, she had her own caseload, and now she was covering for another caseload. I didn't ask her how many cases that meant that she had, but I'm sure it's impressive. And um, so I, I think, you know, the, the, just the way that everybody is reacting is, is jumping in to help out and get things done is really good. You know, Cora, I'm wondering if this, after all this is over and as we go back to, uh, you know, to some reasonable amount of normalcy, someday this world will go back to being a normal world. Um, if, I mean, some of the lessons that we learn within all of this um, the, the way we are learning to get around things and do things now, some of those lessons I think will carry forward and will change some of the ways that, that things are done. Um, I would think that there would be maybe uh, a lot of possibilities for uh, things that maybe the McDowell Center could do to reach people out in the state who maybe don't want to or can't come to the McDowell Center. I mean, I know we have some tech people out there serving blind people, but but this might open up a few more opportunities for some assistance statewide that hasn't especially been there before. Do you see it that way, or, or do you think that this is pretty much, you know, get through this and then we'll be able to get back to the center and and, and that's how we'll work in the future? No, we've had some of those exact conversations, Carla, and I, I think you're right. I think there will be pieces moving forward that will be beneficial and we will, we will utilize. I think we have talked about that in the past, but we have not ha had anything that pushed us or, or made it a priority that we develop right. yeah, yep. services. So, yeah. but yes, I think so. You know, one thing we learned was that we were not prepared um, with all the technology that we need. And so that's at the forefront of our minds that we do upgrades and make sure that everybody has the technology that they need to be able to do their job and to be able to provide services remotely to the maximum that we can. Cora, there had been an announcement that Category 3 was going to open uh, April 1. Can you tell us 
about that? About it, we what did have, have category one, two, and three that are open. The only one that's mm -hmm. um, closed is um, category four. So what does that mean for clients or potential clients? What does what does category three being open um, offer to potential clients that one and two did not? Who's included in that? Individuals um, who are not the most significantly disabled, so someone, but someone that has a significant disability. Um, but it, it now we have um, more opportunity to serve individuals that need, mm -hmm. you know, fewer services to become mm -hmm. employed. So it opens up the, the door for those individuals that needed supports and assistance. But, but, you know, didn't meet the requirements for um, functional limitations or, and for needed services. So um, we feel like now um, really we're able to offer, offer the full range of services to most individuals. Okay. And if those individuals have not been a client or haven't been uh, had a counselor in the past, even though the uh, even though the services people are now working from home, they can still call and they can still get in contact with a counselor, and they can that's still correct. apply. Yes, that's correct. Yes, so there's really not an interruption at this point. No, there is not. Okay. All right. With, with the governor's phasing, um, you know, Monday. Um, there are some general medical services now that can be provided. So we are still mm -hmm. authorizing, you know, when possible for those those services, and we're um, working on guidance to our staff right now on how to proceed, given that, that um, now that some of the medical facilities are open. Very true. That would certainly impact the process that a, a new client would go through to have the eligibility determined those those medical things that are required in order to to get a case into an active status so yes. that's that's a great point well Cora I'm sure that you are anxious to have those 66 people come back someday from unemployment uh, and and resume their positions with OVR I, I just can't imagine suddenly losing 66 of your of your people. You know, they 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 played important roles, and so um, hopefully they will be back. Maybe some, at least, uh, within a reasonable amount of time. Uh, but you know, in listening to uh, Governor Bashir's update, he talks about just the the huge number of unemployment claims and. He was saying, he said several times, well, we had an office of 12 people, and now we've hired, I don't know, something like a 1,000 new people or something. And I'm thinking, as I'm listening to that, well, now we have all these people that they've hired. What are they going to do with them when this is over? So I was really pleased to hear that they were transferring some out of existing positions to help fill those, and, and then those people will be able, I'm assuming, to go back to their positions. Yes. 
Yes, it really was. It really was a good approach in that way because you know you wouldn't want to bring a lot of individuals on, and then once the pandemic, once we get things back and to where they need to be, those individuals would be without a job, and so um, you know it's just a great example of everybody pitching in and working together to make (laughs) services happen in the most you know efficient way possible. One more thing that I um, just wanted to touch on is that um, I I know that a lot of the blind vendors, um, you know, that they just don't have their, their buildings closed up and, you know, just all of a sudden they were out of work. And I can, I can just imagine from having been in that program and having grown up in a, in a family of vendors that you know, how much, how much they're going to lose and so on. And yesterday, um, I'm I'm sure you may have seen, too, that in Secretary DeVos's um, report to Congress on the waivers that she's reporting, asking for waivers on things, that one of the waivers had to do with allowing um, VR funds to be spent to help restock some of the vendors or help them with some of their losses. And um, that seemed like a positive to me. Uh, that should, I hope, be helpful to them? Yes, it would. Um, We were glad to see that, and I know our, um, Corey's the division director and Jennifer's the assistant director, they are working with all of the vendors um, across the state because it's been very devastating for them. And, you know, one thing that was really helpful was when they opened up unemployment to, you know, self-employed, and so um, the vendors were able to apply for unemployment um, benefits. Um, So, you know, that was helpful as well, but certainly we recognize and acknowledge how devastating this has been across the nation to the blind vendor program and to our vendors in this state, and we are trying to provide as much support for them as that we can. Cora, do you think that um, with all of the people, just the general population, with so many people working from home and with some of those companies out there in the private sector having blind employees that they have now um, made it possible for them to work from home? I know several myself. Um, Do you think that this may broaden the ability of blind people in the future to obtain work from home positions with uh, with companies that would be maybe more willing to explore that option for them, I think so. And on a federal level, there's um, been discussion as well about expansion into those work from home positions. So mm-hmm. um, those conversations are going on. So and mm-hmm. you know we have we have talked internally also about how we can people in greater ways to be able to work from home um, where we have not been able to in the past, but given mm-hmm. the pandemic, what other ways can we help assist individuals in making sure they're right. successful? Right. Well, I want to thank you for taking time to talk with us today on SoundPrints and uh, just to kind of share with us how, how, in one way, the agency looks very different but how 
the services are moving ahead and how things are, are continuing to happen for consumers out there. And uh, I, I, I think that this bodes well for the agency in the future. Let's hope that there's not too many cuts that come along because of budget issues created by the, by the virus. I mean, none of us know what's going to happen. Uh, I'm sure there will be some. There will be some very um, tight. There will, there will have to be some tightening along the way. But um, let's hope that let's hope that we can escape some of that. Yes. So, so, so thank you so much. Appreciate it, and uh, look forward to to talking with you again. Thank you. Page three. I'm speaking with Mike Smitterman. He is the exhibits coordinator for the American Council of the Blind Conference and Convention. Mike's in Jackson, Mississippi. And this year he's not going to be in the exhibit hall uh, in Chicago. He's not going to be coming around at uh, 11 o'clock to make sure we all get open and coming back around at 5 o'clock to make sure we all get out the door. That's the harder job, isn't it, Mike? Uh, for real. <laughs> Especially but, with some uh, of us. <laughs> yeah. So all, we we <laughs> managed to get out of there. Mike is Mike is slamming the door behind us at five twenty and I know Sometimes. he's so irritated. Yep. Um, <laughs> but they're not gonna be there. He and Allison won't be won't be there this year, neither will any of us, but we are going to be listening to the virtual exhibit hall. And so Michael is working hard right now to get exhibitors, both large and small, signed up for our great virtual exhibit hall that's coming up July 3 through 10 every day of the virtual conference and convention this summer. And, and if you are out there and, and you're uh, a company, then you need to listen to this interview because this is going to be some good information for you. So welcome to Sound Prince, Michael. We're, we're glad to have you available this summer in our virtual exhibit hall what is available is anything goes just about uh the diff one difference is, is you can sell food you can sell drinks you can sell just about anything you want to if you can ship it to whoever buys it you don't you don't have to you know be there in person and so the the it's just unlimited that what we can do or how how big the exhibit hall can be. Wow. Uh, so and and the price is right for small businesses and, and individuals and blind uh, entrepreneurs. Tell us about that. Well, this year instead of charging you the staggered rate as we've done over the past four or five years I think, uh, there's no cost. It's free. All you have to do is go to www.acbconvention.org and follow the exhibits link. Click on Blind Entrepreneurs. That, I think that's the way it's listed. And mm -hmm. fill out the information and you're in. You don't have to do anything else except probably be nice to listen the first day. <laughs> and <laughs> see, see how it's going to go. And um, mm -hmm. uh, one thing they're going to do is they're going to rotate every day. So
So if you're at the top of the list one day, you may be at the bottom of the list the next day mm -hmm. uh, or somewhere in between. You, we just don't know how it's, how it's going to roll out. Uh, what's, what's really cool about it, and this is what the mini mall is going to do, um, is we are going to submit uh, a different, a different, um, I'll say, uh, review of what we have in the mini mall for each day. So you won't hear the same thing from us every day. We'll have something that we highlight, our products that we highlight each day, and then we'll give you a review of the of, of all the products that we have. So um, a potential exhibitor could do that, or you could have the same information that you would make available each day. But in any event, you can record your information. If you sell technology, you can use the time to explain your technology. What is great about that set of uh, that wireless headphone, or how does your um, if you're a, a high tech group, how does that note taker work? What are the great things you want people to know about your product? Uh, if it's a if it's if it's jewelry or if it's uh, food or whatever it is, what is wonderful about your product? So just as you would, just as you would explain the product and show the product to someone who is standing at your table, you can explain and virtually show your product and make sure that that people hear the great points about whatever you are selling. Uh, no. You, you mentioned recording. Mm -hmm. Everything will have to be recorded, pre-recorded. Okay. Uh, if you're going to do your own, you have a little more time uh, mm -hmm. to get that into ACB radio. Right. If, if, they're, if they're going to help you, which a couple of uh, people I already have, they're going to help them. So... Uh, those have to be done by May 31st. Okay. So, uh, you have a whole month, but, uh, you know, why wait? Right. Uh, you don't let that slip up on you because no. you want to be sure that, A, that there's space because yeah. uh, it's already filling, and you want to be sure that you get your little part of that exhibit hall and someone else doesn't get in there ahead of you. Um, yep. But, Mike, it's also a good opportunity for affiliates to, yeah. to have things. Well, you know, if you're doing, uh, you're selling stuff for a project or some, you know, uh, just you just want your information out there. It's yes. a good way to do it because a lot of people don't know about the spe special interest groups or affiliates. Uh with these community calls, they should more uh, know a lot more, but uh, probably the same people get on all of them, uh, <laughs> or a lot of them, you know. Yeah, I shouldn't yeah. have said that, but uh, uh, it, I encourage affiliates uh, to do something. I encourage right. small business, anybody right now. I mean, there's no restrictions except size. Yeah. And uh, yeah. most of us are not. Most of us don't have uh, a business that hires more than 100 people. Right, right, and exactly. So that, that's the key. Yes. And 
your information is going to go worldwide, not just in the states or not just in Schomburg. Right. So, and you know, this uh, it, it's the potential is fire. We just you need to act on it as, as soon as you can. So, Michael, tell us how people can get in contact with you, how they can get more information. And, uh, I mean, I know they can visit the website, but sometimes they like to just talk to someone about it, maybe get on an email list. So um, how can people reach you? Well, there's three ways to reach me. Uh, First of all, you can call me. Uh, My number is 601-331-7740. Or you can email me uh, at a m d u o at bellsouth.net b-e-l-l-s-o-u-t-h dot net and if you show the least little interest in exhibiting I'm going to put you on my exhibitor list and you will get emails uh, periodically uh, informing you as what announcements or what you might need to do or what's coming up next or what the next move is. So you will always be in, uh, you'll always be in the know. You know, what's really, really good this year, you know, there's positives and negatives in all things. And, and the negatives are that we're not going to be in Chicago and be seeing each other and getting to know new people and all that kind of thing. Um, We're not going to be, in the, we're not going to be in that exhibit hall for six hours at a time, and that <laughs> that may be a negative or it may be a positive. The, the negative is that you're you're not going to be just having a person there asking specific questions at your table. But the positive about that is is you're not going to be waiting. There's always downtime every day, no matter how busy you are. One day, the mini mall sold over five thousand dollars worth of items just in uh, one day and that was in a six hour period of time but even on that day we had some time that was downtime that there maybe was only one or two uh, people at the at the table you won't have that kind of thing you won't have the expense of the the air ticket to the convention you won't have the hotel (laughs) you won't have to buy the food you can sit there with your with your um, own snacks and stuff, and they're sure a lot cheaper than buying food in the hotel, and answer <laughs> your phone. So when you <clears throat> when you have your exhibit, um, you're making your presentation, you make sure that you include your email and your phone, and um, maybe your website so people can contact you. So you, you answer your phone, you, you contact people by the web, and you can sh- ship your products to them now you know what's even better about that mike is when you're going when you're shipping to the convention you have to ship ahead of time and then what's left you have to you have to ship it back out and shipping Uh is not cheap so you know it's 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 not just the shipping of of how much it costs when you take the box to the post office It's also the shipping of how much it costs to bring it in and how much Mm -hmm. it costs to get it back to the post office because there's always a shipping charge. Always. 
always, and it that is not cheap. So, um, while well, one you know, thing I would, if, you, if I might, yeah. uh, one thing I would like to say when you uh, give your email or your website, please mm-hmm. spell it out because yes. some people do don't understand it. I, I like that. I don't do it like I should, but it's a good habit to get into. Yes, because if you have a word that maybe is uh, spelled a little differently, because sometimes we yeah. we want to be cute and make, uh, you know, uh, instead of cooking with a C, we might put K-O-O-K-I-N-G just to be cute and think we're cute, but that's really cutting a bunch of people out of our sight. Um, but... Uh, you know, or someone may misspell a word or whatever. Yeah, be sure and spell things out like that. Be sure and spell out your emails. So, so um, you know, there's a lot of positives here uh, to having a virtual uh, convention. So who all are eligible? Let's go over that again for the free space. Uh, blind entrepreneurs. Okay. Small, biz- small business owners with less than 100 employees. Mm-hmm. And affiliates. And affiliates. All and, right. And if you're larger than that, uh, you know, uh, help defray the expense and still sign up. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For the, there are charges for the larger companies. Uh, and yet, for them, um, they it's, it's much uh, less expensive as well. Yeah, than it would real. be if they were going to convention. And next year we're going to be telling you, hey, you know, of course you want to come to the convention, and you do. But but for this year, uh, this is a way that people can participate who really normally would not be there because of cost. Yeah, so. and uh, as soon as I hear from somebody and they get registered and I get a copy of the receipt as soon as they online, I will mm-hmm. in turn – uh, send them our uh, ACV radio contacts information, and it, it's up to them to contact them. Okay. Uh, uh, but I, I hesitate to put that out there right now because oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> we just will do it when you get registered. That's one of those right. things. You, you used to get a booth number when you registered, not before, so it's the same principle. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Okay, so again, Michael's phone number is 601-331-7740 and amduo, A-M-D-U-O, at bellsouth.net, B-E-L-L-S-O-U-T-H dot N-E-T, and visit the acbconvention.org webpages to make sure that you know all the opportunities that are available. Hey, thank you, Michael. We sure appreciate you being on Soundprints with us this morning and looking forward to a great exhibit area on the ACB Virtual Conference and Convention. Well, we, we'll continue to work, and uh, one thing won't change in the exhibit hall. We're still going to sing you out every day. Oh, all right. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> that is wonderful <laughs> because that is one of the things that, is just so neat at the end of every convention um mike and allison uh sing to us as we leave and and it's it's kind of a tradition been there for years so 
Well, that's, I, that's I was going to stop it. Oh, we were going to stop it this year, and uh, uh, Miss Dickelman said no. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> that is good news. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you. Page four. The Great Steamboat Race. The Derby would have been held this weekend, May 2, but it's been postponed because of the coronavirus. Instead, it will be run on September 5, the Saturday of Labor Day weekend, and we thought that we would still celebrate a little bit of the Derby by bringing you some information about one of the major Derby Festival events. This article is from Louisville.com, which is the website of Louisville Magazine. It's called Everything You Need to Know About the Great Steamboat Race, posted by Mary Chellis Nelson, who was the editor of Louisville Magazine, and this article was posted on May 1, 2018. The steamboat race began in 1963, and it's always been an interesting event. So here's this article. If you've seen the Great Steamboat Race over the years, you've probably assumed that it's rigged. How has the Belle of Louisville held up so often against the larger Delta Queen? And how has the Belle of Louisville, a century-old steam-powered paddle wheel, won against its diesel-powered rivals in recent years? Surely the mayor has some sway in securing the 50-50 odds that the Belle has enjoyed over its 54-year run. Not so, say the Kentucky Derby Festival folks. Several years ago, the difference in horsepower between the boats drew criticism, leading the festival to hold a day-long point system competition, think obstacle courses and a calliope contest, so that the winner of the race itself wouldn't necessarily win the whole deal. But with waning public interest, it's confusing and anticlimactic when the boat that crosses the finish line first isn't actually the winner, the Derby Festival has done away with tug-of-war and the like. On May 2, 2018, it's a full-on 14-mile race for blood, or rather the Gilded Antlers, which the winner proudly keeps until the next year. The Belle of Cincinnati currently has them, but more on those fools in a minute. Like any good handicapper, one needs to know the dirt on each of this year's three players. American Duchess, top speed, 8 miles per hour. At 100 feet longer than her competitors, and twice as wide, her presence could throw the others off their swagger. Year built, originally a casino boat built in 1995, the Duchess has recently been gutted, blinged out with chandeliers, a grand piano, and 83 luxury suites, and turned into an overnight cruise vessel. She was recently christened in New Orleans when the owner's daughter smashed a bottle of Maker's Mark on the rail. This is the Duchess's first race. Number of passengers, 166, who will stay on the boat for the week leading up to the Derby. Pedigree, sister vessel, the American Queen, raced in 2012 but lost to the Belle of Louisville. Deciding Factor Owner John Wagner is no stranger to priming winners. He formerly owned the Belle of Louisville before the Waterfront Development Corporation took over. Belle of Cincinnati, top speed. 
I can't give away all our secrets, Captain Alan Bernstein said. Seven to eight miles per hour is a good travel speed, not the top speed. Year built, 1991. Number of passengers, seven to eight hundred. To lighten the boat's load on previous race days, Bernstein's crew has put him on a diet. If the captain stays off the skyline chilly, the boat could have a chance. Race record. She began racing in Louisville in 1999 against the recently sold Spirit of Jefferson. Her first race against the Belle of Louisville was in 2002, when Cincy's Belle lost. She officially replaced the Delta Queen as the Belle of Louisville's main competitor in 2009, winning four titles since. She has won the last two years. Scratch Factor In 2004, Cincinnati crossed the finish line first, but Mayor Jerry Abramson declared Louisville the winner. Quote, Maybe we weren't a steamboat, and it's called a steamboat race, Bernstein says. Cincinnati's incensed crew stole the antlers, as well as the mayor's Gallapalooza horse. Bernstein turned himself into police, he says, and had charges against him. Horse stealing, impersonating a steamboat captain, and inflicting pain and suffering on the kids and citizens of Louisville. He was found guilty and had to do two days of community service, spend a day as a deckhand on the Belle of Louisville, and the following year walk in the Pegasus Parade as a pooper scooper. Quote, they assigned me to the Clydesdales, he says. Following the fiasco, Bernstein claims that Cincinnati was designated a pirate boat by the Coast Guard and now flies a pirate flag. Verdict Verity. While each boat brings its own set of judges, the Bell of Cincinnati's have been nuns in the past to ensure integrity. Quote, the race is really not about how fast a boat can go, Bernstein says. It's all about how you can lie, cheat, and steal the other guy. Bell of Louisville. Top speed, 12.5 miles per hour. Year built, 1914. The Bell is the oldest operating steamboat in the country. Number of passengers, 650. Race record, 27 wins. Her former top competitor, the Delta Queen, has won 20 times. It's amazing she ever raced again after a dismal first year in 1963 when she got stuck in the mud, then windswept, and lost to the Queen by a staggering three miles, according to a Courier-Journal article. Judges U.S. Army Corps of Engineers commanders have noticed that the Bell of Cincinnati got a head start in years past. Deciding factor, quote, Only I know when the cannon goes off to start, Captain Mark Doughty says. I jockey into position at the start line to get the best advantage. Hopefully we can get full steam ahead with the big boat in the race this year. There's no room to deviate, end of quote. Will the Queen ever return? In 2009, after on-and-off financial issues, the Delta Queen retired to Chattanooga, Tennessee, having been federally forbidden from carrying overnight passengers due to fire concerns about the wooden structure. She's now docked south of St. Louis on the Mississippi River, but her owners, as well as the Derby Festival, remain hopeful that she'll once again compete in the race, 
as she and the Bell are two of only a handful of paddle wheel steamboats remaining in the country. This article originally appeared in the April 2018 issue of Louisville Magazine. The Great Balloon Fest is an annual festival featuring a series of hot air balloon events. The celebration is part of the Kentucky Derby Festival, the weeks of festivities prior to the Kentucky Derby. The balloon events culminate with the Great Balloon Race. The first Great Balloon Race was held at Iroquois Park in 1973 and featured only seven balloons. However, the Great Balloon Race quickly became one of the most popular Kentucky Derby Festival events. And what was once just the Great Balloon Race is now an entire weekend festival of hot air ballooning events. Each of these events is free with a Pegasus pin, though you may be required to pay a parking fee. Great Balloon Glimmer The Great Balloon Glimmer is a smaller version of the Great Balloon Glow listed below. It is held at Waterfront Park on the Thursday prior to the Great Balloon Race and serves as the kickoff for the Kroger Festival on the waterfront and the opening of the Chow Wagon, a downtown spot for food and entertainment during the Kentucky Derby Festival. Since it is smaller than the Great Balloon Glow, some people, families, couples, and singles prefer it since it is much easier to enter and exit while avoiding crowds. Some professionals who work downtown have it the easiest as they can just stop by after work and enjoy the glimmer before heading home. Great Balloon Rush Hour Race The Great Balloon Rush Hour Race is essentially the same thing as the Great Balloon Race, but the Rush Hour Race is held during the Rush Hour Commute on the Friday morning before the Great Balloon Race. It is very exciting tradition. Individuals who are off that day or who have a late starting time at work can go and watch the balloons take off and land, but even those who have to work can watch the balloons float overhead as they drive to work. The Great Balloon Glow The Great Balloon Glow is an event held at the Kentucky Exposition Center that draws more than 50,000 people annually from Louisville and its surrounding cities and states. Visitors to the Great Balloon Glow can speak with the balloon owners about their balloons and see them up close, something that's not possible in the limited time before takeoff on the morning of the Great Balloon Race. The main highlight of the Great Balloon Glow, however, occurs when the balloons light up and rise a little off the ground to music, creating a beautiful landscape of glowing balloons set against the night sky. It is the spot to watch hot air balloons glimmer and glow. Families make a night of this event. Expect blankets laid out for relaxing, fair food, and kitty rides. Great Balloon Race The original and signature event of the Great Balloon Fest is the Great Balloon Race. The Great Balloon Race occurs on the Saturday before the Kentucky Derby and features dozens of colorful hot air balloons racing against the morning sky. The event occurs very early in the day, but it's definitely worth seeing at least once. It is an opportunity to see professional hot air balloon pilots at work and, more spectacular, orbs of color floating through the Louisville sky. Past Events With any annual event, things change year to year. 
In the past, there was a Great Balloon Tour, for example. The Great Balloon Tour was a kickoff event for the Great Balloon Fest. It was added years after the first balloon events, with the first Great Balloon Tour occurring during the 2006 Kentucky Derby Festival. The Great Balloon Tour was held at a different location every year and features a short 30-minute hot air balloon race. Will they bring it back? Who knows? If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.